It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hello, Bengals fans, and welcome into your weekend mailbag, free agency edition. Free agency is now officially open, which means Mike Brown has woken up from his off-season, early-season, early-year nap and is ready to bring in some players for free agent visits. So we'll talk about those visits, and then we'll get to your questions afterwards. The Bengals, uh, in the last 24 hours, have been reported to have three free agent visitors, Brian Poole, Shaquille Barrett, and John Miller. Brian Poole is a slot corner from Atlanta. Shaquille Barrett is an edge rusher from a 3-4 defense in Denver. And John Miller is a right guard from Buffalo. Brian Poole and Shaquille Barrett were both undrafted free agents. Uh, Brian Poole uh, profiles very similarly to Darquez Denard in terms of uh, PFF grades, in terms of, you know, he's not a great athlete. He wasn't invited to the combine when he was coming out of Florida. His athletic testing at the Florida Pro Day was average at best. Stronger run defender than cover guy. So it does a lot of the same things that Darquez Denard does. I think he's been a little bit healthier over the term yeah. of his career. And he's, he's already also, played more oh, snaps. And he's also years. a worse tackler. But he tackling is his strength. I think he just misses yeah. more than than Denard does. He's sure. a physical, strong tackler, yep. which is a quality. And so those are they're very, very similar players. Poole is probably going to be cheaper, being as he was an undrafted free agent, and Darquez Denard was a first round pick, and that matters to NFL teams probably yep. a lot more than it should. So this is maybe a sign that the Bengals didn't come to an agreement with Darquez Denard. They're letting him test the market, a la Andre Smith. All those guys we talked about yesterday. And we'll see if Darquez Denard comes back on a reasonable deal. I think if he is going to sign with the Bengals at this point, it will be for something less than that $8 million a year mark that some of the early slot corner signings got. I think that's a great point and something I've been saying too to people that have asked, uh, are we getting nervous? Does it does this mean he's not going to come back? And I, I my opinion is the longer it lasts or the longer it goes, uh, more likely that he comes back because the Bengals more than likely offered him a what he feels is a blow market value, or there is the possibility that he wants to find a team that will allow him the the opportunity to play on the boundary, which will make him 
much more uh, money down the line. If he can even do it for a year or two, mm-hmm. it'd be better than taking a three or four year deal with the Bengals where you're, you know, you're going to be in the slot with the other two corners being locked up on the outside. Uh, so yes, I think if it goes longer, that means the money will make more sense. And I think Jake and I both agreed. A lot of people agree on this. If the money's right, we want dark West Denard back. If it's getting into the range where they're going to have to overspend that corner and still have limitations at, really all three spots, but definitely two out of the three spots. Well, then that's when Brian Poole comes in, and that's when I get interested because he should make less money. He is a very similar player. He's actually, I think he's listed at 5'10", 210. Uh, so he's got some thickness to him, and he's more of a safety corner, yeah. uh, slot corner hybrid. And I actually said this about Denard recently where I said he's kind of like a safety hybrid, and especially the way they use him. The Falcons use him the same way. Brian Poole is a really good blitzer. Denard's had some yeah. success as a blitzer. So I think you can do a lot of things. And just we'll get into the other players that are coming in too, but with Shaq Barrett being the other visit and Brian Poole, I'm thinking, man, you could do a lot of different things with blitz packages with the two of those. Yeah, and and interesting that you mentioned the safety thing. Brian Poole, I think, played safety against the Bengals when they played Atlanta last year because Atlanta's defense you probably remember was ravaged by injuries so Poole in that game was playing strong safety yeah that's right and uh, so he can do that for you if you need if you need to do it and I think that's that allows you to do a lot more multiple things we always think multiple with our front seven guys right but or six but really with the back half too you can get a little multiple and where we're seeing that right now is safety linebacker and safety nickel corner and the ability to maybe have a, have that guy. I remember the Bengals would do it with Leon Hall. They'd rotate their safeties and corners, and they drop Leon Hall into a safety spot and blitz that blitz the safety. You could do some things with Brian Poole because of it. That is correct. So very similar player, probably going to make a little bit less than Denard, although maybe they're just offering both guys the same deal and saying, hey, who wants it? That's something they've done before too. One more thing to add, though. Brian Poole is – charged for 17 penalties in three years Ooh. on pro football focus and did dark West Denard in his five years, even though pool has played 400 more snaps about is only charged with three penalties. So he's a little grabby. He must be. Although that's probably reflected in his grades, I think. So yep. considering he grades out similarly to Denard with the penalties, I don't know what that tells you clean up the penalties and you have a better player maybe, or maybe the penalties are just part of the game. It could be. And I don't know what kind of – they don't break down the penalties. There's other websites that will do that, and you can see if there are personal fouls or late hits or holding illegal contacts. It'll give you more context of yeah. uh, of what he is. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Shaquille Barrett. Shaquille Barrett is another log added to the fire, creating smoke that the Bengals are considering, adding personnel to at least be able to run a 3-4 front out there or a 2-4 front in nickel. Uh, Shaquille Barrett has played exclusively outside linebacker, rush linebacker for Denver. He was displaced by number five overall pick Bradley Chubb, but he has been excellent when he's been on the field for Denver, especially as an undrafted free agent. Pro Football Focus has him as one of their top available value signings. And in a pass rusher, they did a free agent pass rusher buy or sell article, and they're buying Shaquille Barrett. Shaquille Barrett, when he's been on the field, he's he's strong in the pass rush game. He's been consistently a productive pass rusher. He's been stout against the run. He is yep. undersized, probably, to play a defensive end in a four three front on four on on rundowns. But he has been a stout run defender in the outside backer position. 
uh, in a 3-4. He weighs about 250, uh, 6-1, 32-inch arms. Had a decent combine, just since we're talking about combines. He was an undrafted free agent, like I mentioned, from Colorado State. Excellent, excellent three-cone time, which is big for edge rushers. Uh, pretty poor explosion, but overall decent athleticism. Had a good 40. So I, I, I think we probably both agree that Shaquille Barrett would be an excellent signing for the Bengals. He'd be their best signing so far. And not only based on what potential value could be there, but um, he's the he would be the best player they've signed. And he's an unknown, for, I think, for a lot of casual fans. But at the same time, if you're involved in draft Twitter in the last four years, you know who Shaquille Barrett is. And uh, he was a fan of, of a lot of people coming through the draft because he was highly productive in college and because he, he had that three cone and tested at least decently well in the in the areas you want a pass rusher to test well. And since then, he's been very, very good opposite Vaughn Miller. And we like to say Denver is a 3-4, but they're really a one-gap scheme. They're going to really have 4-3 principles. So he's going to put his hand down. You put on the tape, he's going to put his hand down and rush from rush from the edge with his hand down. He's going to stand up and rush from the right end. Uh, he's going to rush. There's, there's a, I retweeted a clip today of him over, over the, uh, the guard at three tech standing up. So he allowed Denver to do a lot of uh, different things, especially when you've got personnel that they've had recently. Uh, so I, I would be very interested in Barrett. I think the question becomes, what are the, reverberations felt on the rest of the roster. I think he's one of the four best pass rushers on the team if you sign him. So it would be uh, some mixture of Carl Lawson, uh, Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, and Shaquille Barrett if if you can get them all out there. Uh, having said that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Does that mean Dunlap is kicked inside a little bit more? Does that mean you just are a little more fluid when you're front and, and you're rushing guys from different angles and different positions and you can do more things? I think that sounds good too. I I charted uh, how often they get pressures on pass rushing snaps for Shaq Barrett. It was every 8.3 pass rushing snaps he gets a pressure in comparison. Uh, Geno Atkins is also 8.3. Carlos Dunlap, I believe, is 8.1. And Carl Lawson has been 6.8 so far in his career. So that means he, production-wise, you would get yeah. a lot of pressure with that four guys, and that's why it'd be such a big signing. And a lot of people are like, well, is he a linebacker or not? It doesn't matter. He's going to he's gonna rush the passer, and that's where you're, you're going to be paying him from. He's actually been a really good special teamer, too, so that should help him. Uh, but I've been told, and I haven't even tried to confirm this, that that visit is over. He will take his next visit. Uh, as Jake and I will probably talk with all of these guys. We expect the Bengals to come in under market on on any offer they give to these guys. So it's going to have to be they're selling them on opportunity. Prove yourself. Look, we just did it last year with Bobby Hart and and Preston Brown. We will give you a three-year $21 million deal right afterwards if you prove yourself to at least be um, not brain dead, I, I guess is the standard they've set. But point being that that's what you sell these guys on is maybe it's a one-year deal. You prove it. You make more money, especially if the market for a Shaq Barrett is much lower than he expected. Yeah, and I think it probably is just because he only got 276 snaps in Denver last year. He's always been a part-time player in the first place. He's never had more than 664 snaps in a year. He's especially he has played a lot on special teams and as an undrafted guy, you know, he, you're expected to do that for sure, but he's good at it. Uh, just as a note for those of you that are confused because he's listed as a linebacker, he has dropped into coverage 266 times out of his 1900 career snaps. He has been okay when asked to do that because that sometimes happens in Denver's defense. 
but it's not he's not an every down off ball linebacker so don't get it twisted right he's a he's an edge rusher that's his definition that's what he's going to come in for even if it is a um limited usage or a a specific role where he's only going to get 500 600 snaps at most that's fine he's good at what he does you use him that way same way as the Bengals have used Carl Lawson now we've all asked for that usage to increase but the more quality defensive linemen you add the better specialized you can make them and put them in situations where they're winning more often and and Barrett has been stout against the run as well I think he could be an every down player if they get him in the right spot Sure. And if you're paying him to do that, then you should feel comfortable that he can do it. But it sounds like he may not get the money to be forced to be an every down player. Yep. So we'll see where that lands. It sounds like, like Joe said, he maybe has finished his visit with the Bengals. We'll see if he comes back. That's happened before. Not necessarily the most common thing as the Bengals were his first visit. Uh, On Brian Poole, on that note, the Bengals were his second visit. He was in New York first, and he's supposedly visiting today as well. Right. Last one to note here, John Miller is an offensive guard that we talked about yesterday on the podcast. He started for two years uh, out of his four years as a pro, two and a half maybe, in Buffalo. He's got uh, 2,800 career snaps, give or take. And the first thing I looked at when we're talking about a right guard is I looked at how many penalties he's had over his time in Buffalo. And he's got a total of 17 penalties over Almost 3,000 career snaps. That's a rate of 0.59% of his snaps. Just to compare Alex Redmond in 2018, which maybe that's the worst year for penalties Alex Redmond has in his career, right? Maybe maybe he goes on to be a productive player in 2018. It's essentially his rookie year. That's his undisciplined year. But in 2018, Redmond, 10 penalties on uh, 928 snaps is about twice as often as John Miller over their careers. Miller also has a better record as a pass blocker. He's been an above average to plus pass blocker in his career and his flashy ability to be an above average run blocker at times, but for the most part in his career has been around average to maybe slightly below average as a run blocker. And as uh, pass blocking, I, uh, Look at the numbers for the Bengals guards in last year. It was Clint Bowling, one every 25 pass blocking snaps. He gave up a pressure for Alex Redman. It was one every 15 pass blocking snaps. He gave up a pressure for John Miller. It was one every 19. So it would be a slight upgrade. He's not all the way to Clint Bowling status, but uh, it could potentially be an upgrade at that spot. And also for PFF, I think he was a 64.1 overall grade last year. That would have graded out as the Bengals' best offensive lineman. Yeah, 64.3 last year. And in his previous full season, 69.6 in 2016. Uh, yeah, he, he would have been their best lineman last year, which says a lot when you're talking about those grades from PFF. And this is all according to PFF, right? So I'm sure the Bengals and the Bills have different evaluations on these guys, oh, maybe only Bills slightly. fans already. Bills fans are already in my mention saying, no, he was terrible. We've had to replace him. And I've said, well... You know, we've got a situation here over in Cincinnati where the offensive line is terrible. And it's kind of like the same thing last year where the Bills signed Russell Bodine. And we said, no, we laughed. You guys are going to hate him. And they actually got decent production. Now, they've upgraded from Russell Bodine the following year. Is he benched? Well, yeah, he's a free agent, I believe, now. Uh, But they they signed Mitch Morse. But he got them through 
you know, a rough patch where they didn't have a center. And I could see John Miller doing a similar thing where he is on the roster. Maybe he starts, maybe he just competes and pushes that right guard spot. And ultimately, you're still looking for a right guard. So Russell Bodine had one year in Buffalo. He did not start in week one or week two. Then he started weeks three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, uh, twelve, thirteen. Didn't start the last few weeks of the season. Might have gotten hurt against Miami. It looks I like. believe he did. Actually, yeah. So didn't start the first two games. Did start after that. And he had his best and, career year, though, I think, on pro football focus grades, right? Not true. In pass blocking, no, yes, true. his best year okay. was 2016 overall, when he had a okay. pretty good year as a run blocker by their system. That's right. So those are the guys that the Bengals are talking to in free agency. I think Joe and I would both be a fan of all three of the signings. I think if I were to rank them from most exciting to least exciting, Shaq Barrett, John... Miller. You'd say Miller number two? I would say Miller number two because Poole is the same guy as Denard and, and Miller represents a modest upgrade. Yeah, maybe potentially. I I, I, I could get with that also. I, I would like all three, to be honest with I you. I would like all three, too. And if they did that, I'd feel much better about this free agent period. I, it still doesn't take away from the Bobby Hart signing or, or you know completely erase it. But right now we're sitting at a two out of ten where... You know, this isn't this isn't great at all, and that would push us to maybe a six or six and a half out of ten. Especially the Shaq Barrett signing, like that's a guy oh, yeah. who could really he could take another step, and you know he could he replace could be the Dunlap. same guy. He could be the same guy he is, and he and he provides a lot to this team. True, and and also the interesting thing about Barrett, as we've talked about, is it represents a potential multiple front, a potential to go to a three four two four base. It's interesting. I don't know. It's 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 something different. So uh, we have a lot of questions to get to today. If there's an ad, it's going to play right now. And if there's not an ad, we're going to go right into questions. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Bengals fans, our weekend mailbag is here. We've got our first question. It comes from Jordan Grigsby at Jordan Grigsby 5. He asks, with the Bengals doing very little on the O-line upgrade, do you think it could be because Taylor doesn't expect Dalton to sit back in the pocket and use our weapons in a more play-action, quick-release style, rollouts and such, and get the ball out quick to our playmakers? Yeah, we've talked about the potential changes the, the things that LA did that we're expecting to be the foundation of the Bengals the Bengals offense going forward it's going to be under center play action and it's going to be I think a lot of West Coast quick passing they're gonna they're gonna be using that zone running style with Joe Mixon that he loves so much he's been so effective with yep. and yeah I, I don't think that you're gonna have like seven step drops and waiting for drag route to get from the right numbers to the left numbers 30 yards down the field very often right and the rams were heavy play action heavy rollout they did a lot of that stuff they uh we looked at the numbers and crunched the numbers and golf was barely sacked or at least at a lower rate on play action and they use play action as much as anybody in the league if not more than anyone so i do expect a lot of that to happen but having said that 
even though the Rams did that type of offense to protect their O-line and their quarterback, they still upgraded and, and went out and got good offensive linemen and free agency. So, uh, yes, it can help, but there's going to be times where you're going to have your quarterback, you need, still need to drop back, and you got to protect him, and he's going to have to protect him for more than two and a half seconds, and mm-hmm. we're going to need those plays. And right now it's still a scary proposition. Kind of makes me wonder if they should maybe prioritize the guys that are a little bit better at run blocking uh, just to – lean on the run game the same way that la did sure doesn't seem to be the trend right now but something to maybe ponder uh next question comes from woody at wood mania on twitter do the browns now have a better roster than the other three asc north teams put together this is tough because i i think jake and i would agree they have the best roster right now and um, yes, I know they're Browns, and I and I know Baker Mayfield's only played for one year and not even a full year, but he is the best quarterback based on the information we have, and he's the best quarterback in the division. That gives them a leg up now, and it's not a huge jump ahead of uh, Big Ben, but Big Ben has declined, I think, for at least two years in a row now, in my opinion, and uh, having said that, yeah, they could be I, I would take Joe Mixon still at running back, but I mean Nick Chubb is no slouch and and Duke Johnson and they may trade him, but uh they've added Kareem Hunt also and if Kareem Hunt is who he was for the Chiefs and gets his life and career back online, then he could be argue, arguably the best running back in the division. So uh offensive line wise, the Browns were the best last year. They lose Kevin Zeitler, but they believe they have a a suitable replacement in Austin um Corbett, who they drafted last year out of Nevada. So Defensive-wise, they easily have the four best unit of pass rushers, I would say, especially after the the Ravens have lost their group. The the Steelers won more on scheme than than total, but I still like Watt and Hayward and Tuitt together. I just think I'd take the Browns for some over that. Uh, at secondary, while Denzel Ward might be the best of them, I still think the Ravens have a great secondary, especially at, after adding Earl Thomas, so I may lean towards the Ravens. Uh, I think the Bengals is good also, and I so I think that's a a toss-up between those three teams at, at in the secondary, but I'm going to lean towards the Ravens. I think, yes, the Browns have the best roster. Do they have – are they better at every position? No, of course not. But, uh, man, it, it would be – now the question was combining the other three teams, right? And so uh, it's hard to even think about uh, just off the top of my head. But what do you think, Jake? I think when you start to say, does one NFL team have a better roster than three NFL teams put together? The answer is almost always no. But the fact that it's right. even this close uh, tells you something about the strength of the Browns roster. So at quarterback, like you said, it's all AFC North. It, it's probably Ben. At running back, it's probably Mixon. Tight ends. Uh, <laughs> And James Conner would be no slouch if we put them together, sure. you know. Yeah. So, And then they just signed Mark Ingram. So that would be a good threesome of yeah. running backs for the North. Tight ends. You go Ravens tight ends probably at this point. Just because just they're – well, I mean, no one signed on the Bengals roster besides C.J. Uzama. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think Vance McDonald and David Njoku, though. So, yeah, okay. We Ravens have a good chunk of the tight ends. But Vance McDonald is probably the best weapon to go against the Browns. Yeah, I'm just comparing, right? So so if we take all three AFC teams and not the Browns, and we try to come up with the best players. Well, and that's what I mean. So that's what I'm trying to think. The best tight end is probably Vance McDonald of the of all of them. Oh, I do think so. And But, I mean, David Andrews is right there. But, uh, yeah, Mark I would Andrews. say that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. And not, not the offensive lineman. Anyways, uh, but, yeah, I think Vance McDonald is the best of those. So, that, so then wide receiver, it's you're stacking A.J. Green against Odell. 
probably Tyler Boyd against or Tyler Boyd and Juju against right. Jarvis Landry. And I take I take the not Jarvis Landry options there. Well sure and, I would too. And then who's Obviously the you're gonna have guy? more depth. You're gonna have more depth that's the problem, right? Is who's the other outside guy? The Ravens have nobody right now. And who it's probably John Ross still. Yeah, they signed uh, Dante Moncrief, but he's been probably not him. Right, he's been inconsistent his entire career. They drafted James Washington last year. It's but you know what? John Ross, Cleveland's other outside guys is who Richard Higgins or or Antonio Callaway. Antonio Callaway. So So who knows about that too? Yeah, okay. So offensive line, left tackle. Who's the Steelers' left tackle? I don't. I don't know left tackles. Villanueva, right? Yeah. I'd take him, probably. That's yep. probably the best non-Browns left tackle. Ronnie left guard. Stanley is good for the Ravens. Yeah. Is is Yonda left guard, right guard? Well, regardless, uh, you're right taking guard. regardless you're taking Yonda and you're taking DeCastro and you're just yeah. moving him. Center, you're probably taking Pouncey. Probably. Right tackle. Hmm. I don't know the I right tackle. Have to think about it. North. Well, Right, the Ravens, I mean, the Steelers just got rid of their guy last year that went to the Browns and then traded Marcus Gilbert because they believe the, I can't remember his name now, but they believe he's good enough. I think right tackle is definitely the position of weakness besides Orlando Brown for the Ravens had his rookie year. So he's probably just based on the upside, the right tackle of the division. Okay, so that's the offense. And I would say... I don't know that that's better... I think it could be better, but the the Browns had a really good O line last year, and I expect it to continue. It's pretty comparable, though. Uh, you you, right. I don't know if that's clear cut, you know, in favor of in favor of the Browns, but it's closer. It's very close, which makes this a good question. Defensive side of the ball, uh, I think you're taking Carl Lawson. You're taking. I'm taking the division. Geno Atkins. Yeah, you're taking. It's just depth, right? Hey, like, word just, to it. Yeah, Both the defensive tackles for the Ravens. If it's just starters, it's it gets harder. But right. there's just so much talent on the defensive lines of the AFC North. I think it's hard to say the Browns are better. Although you know, Miles Garrett, some, though. right? Garrett, Olivier Vernon. They signed uh, Sheldon, Sheldon Richardson. Richardson and Larry Ogunjobi. Yeah. That is good, man. That's good. But Ogunjobi is reportedly on the trade block. That'd be stupid. <laughs> I'd give or, up or, no, no, no. Sorry, it's it's Ogba, not not. Ah, uh, yes, right. Emmanuel Ogba, yes. Which honestly, if it was another team, I would be interested in Ogba. Ogba has killed the Bengals in a bunch of uh, games. He can kick inside too, and in, in, in pass rush. Secondary, we've talked about you easily taking the division, especially yeah. like the Ravens secondary. Maybe take Jesse Bates, William Jackson, in the Ravens safeties. And right. the Raven and Marlon Humphrey or something. Yeah, exactly. Sure. They, yeah. You'd be better there. Linebackers. The, uh, probably taking the division. They just lost CJ Mosley. The Bengals don't have anybody worth anything. Yeah, maybe you don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is Joe Schobert right versus. You right. know, yeah. <laughs> Joe Schobert. They got Gennard Avery too that uh, has a pass rusher. I don't know. All right. What's the next question, Joe? Yeah, we're going on the next one. We took a lot of time on that one, Woody. Anyways, this one's from George Johnson, 69, and he asks, After 32 years, I'm nearing the end of my rope. You guys are about the same age. You've got to be as frustrated as I am. My question is, not saying you guys would ever flat-out jump ship, but what would it take for you guys to significantly scale back your fandom and care for this team? 
Yeah, we talked about what it would take for us to totally jump ship, and it's different for Joe and I because I'm from Cincinnati, and Joe's just picked the Bengals because they have cool helmets. But that's true. Uh, for me, a couple of days ago when they re-signed Bobby Hart, I messaged Joe and I was like, "Man, if we weren't doing this podcast, I'd be taking a break right now." I'd be like, "You know what? I'll see you in a couple months. I'll check in, and I'll pay attention for the season." But uh, that Bobby Hart deal was a big blow. And it's 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 like I, I kind of feel bad saying it's not a it's nothing against a player, right? Like I'm still happy for Bobby Hart, like good for him as a human being. He's making a lot of money to play in the NFL. He's made it, so that's great. But for the Bengals and for their fans, it's just like you're giving a guy five million dollars a year, which is less than the reported seven million, but still starter money. And he was very bad. And it's yep. just like what are you what are you doing? And until I kind of reframed it yesterday on the podcast and told myself Maybe, you know, this is a rebuild and, and it doesn't matter. And I kind of reset the big picture. I was kind of like, I, you know, I, I could use a break from this team. I can use a, a break all the time, but I still like there's it's funny because you turn you. What do you want? You want wins. You want a Super Bowl, right? You want to feel good about your team. Uh, but losing allows you to look at football differently also allows you to watch other teams which i find enjoyable it allows you to analyze or compare get into more player evaluation scouting coaching different aspects of the game that isn't just wins and losses that's why i love preseason i honestly love it because i'm not feeling the pressure of a win and a loss but i get to do what i like best and which is player evaluation so um i still get enjoyment out of that even if they were a bad team even if they lost years in a row i would still have fun in doing that i like the challenge of it i like that you know if i was playing madden remember in madden i think it was 02 before the texans came out you could take an expansion team get all these bums on the roster and really try and build them into a, a championship and i like doing that i like thinking of it even though the bengals don't follow suit on everything you want them to do it's still that because of that, it prevents it, it, or presents you with challenges all the time of of roster building and team building and how you would approach it. So for me, I still get a lot of enjoyment, even when they're as dysfunctional as they are. But it is frustrating. And I would say fandom is sparked or fueled by hope. And right now, our hope is low. When Zach Taylor was hired, it, it gave it a boost. I mean, I can see directly on how many clicks are on our articles or on our podcast. People want hope. People want to believe that there is a chance this team is going to at least be entertaining, but yet ultimately win. And I think that's why people get down is when you're like, man, nothing is going to change ever. And I think that sparks from ownership. And along those lines, you know, you can think maybe there's a plan. We talked about it yesterday. Maybe the plan is tanking. In addition to us talking about it yesterday, Mo Egger, who I'm sure you all listen to on the radio when you're driving around Cincinnati, did a great piece for The Athletic uh, talking about, is this a tanking plan? And you guys should all go check that out. And Mo, if you're listening, you're welcome for the story idea. And he's definitely listening. And he's definitely listening. He definitely has time for <laughs> listening to right. the podcast. To listen to other right podcasts or shows talk about the Bengals. Our next question comes from LogieB513, first-time caller, long-time listener, third-time caller, actually. Uh, he asks us, he wants to know more about you guys, more personal stories. Joe shared how he became a Bengals fan. How did Jake? Have you ever been to a game? Just tell us a fun or happy story that will make us look forward to the fun parts of the season. How'd you become a fan, Jake? 
I was born in Cincinnati. I was born in Chicago, actually. I grew up in Cincinnati. I lived in Cincinnati since I was two weeks old. And, uh, you know, the Bengals were the team. That's pretty simple. Uh, I actually, my neighbor when I was growing up was a Broncos fan for some reason. I think around the time the Broncos won their first Super Bowl, he kind of latched on to them or the, when they went mm. to their first Super Bowl. And then he's kind of stuck with him for the long haul. So you ever good been for any him. fun games? Any game I, that's memorable? I've been to a couple games. Um, one of them was against the Browns, and they won that game because the Browns were terrible. Uh, I think Carson was a quarterback then. And that was like, you know, the Chad Johnson, TJ era. Yeah. That was a fun game. I uh, try going, to go to one game a year. Going to games is cold. Inexpensive. I, I, I like watching, and it's much harder for me to to pay attention to what's going on in the fracas that is uh, NFL Stadium with a bunch of drunk people yelling. And I like, I sit there in the stands and I hear things that fans say around me, and I'm like, "Man, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. I want to argue with you. I want to argue with you, but I'm here to watch a game, and I'm not going to argue with you because you're drunk. So that'd be dumb." Yep, I've been to some fun. I try to go to one every year. Or at least I should say, I tried to make one Cincinnati trip. Like last year, I went to training camp, didn't get to go to a game. Two years ago, I went to Family Day, uh, which is when they had their scrimmage. Um, so that was fun, but obviously not a game. So last game I went to in Cincinnati was 2000, I want to say 12. It could have been 11. It was the new era of this team going to the playoffs. It was Ravens week 17. The Bengals had to win to get in. They lost. I want to say they played the Chargers the following week, so that was 2013, right? Uh, anyways, so the, the Bengals had to win to get in, and they lost. So then everyone's attention turns in the last couple minutes of that game, and we're watching the Broncos beat the Steelers, and it was Tim Tebow in overtime with that pass, oh, that yeah. right over the middle, and, he t- and it goes all the way, right? And the Broncos get the Bengals into the playoffs, and we're like, what? Look at this. And, you know, the stadium goes nuts. So that was fun. It was for my birthday. My birthday's early January. We drove home that night, the night game, so we drove home, didn't go home on like 3, 4 a.m. It was snowing the whole way. One other game, too, 2005, was Bengals-Packers. And I, I will say this, too, because that deals with the Ravens game. Whenever you see – like a Hall of Fame, all-time great player. Man, they just stand out on the field. I felt that way with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Just they move differently. They move before everyone. They react before everyone. Brett Favre was like that. He just had a way and an aura about him. He could just sidestep guys just so naturally and easily. But the the thing about that game, and I think they intercepted him five times. Odell Thurman had interception also. The Bengals wore their orange jerseys. But a fan ran out into the field in the fourth quarter where the, where the Packers were trying to mount a comeback. Fan ran out on the field and stole the ball from Brett Favre and ran yep. with it. You were at that, that game? Amazing. I was at that game. That's funny. <laughs> and I've been to maybe like five other Bengals-Bills games because I, I they played each other a lot lately. I think actually they play again this year. And I've been to uh, the Bills Stadium, which is now New Era Field, but was Rich Stadium. And uh, we've seen a bunch of Bengals games there. Yeah. Uh, the one now that you mentioned the Hall of Famer thing, I saw Peyton Manning and the Broncos play against the Bengals. I can't remember if it was a regular season game or a preseason game. It must have been a regular season game because they wouldn't play the Broncos in the preseason. Uh, that was pretty cool because I was on the visitor side of the field, so watching Peyton Manning on the sideline was kind of yeah. a treat. They they really I... do stand out. I've seen Peyton Manning also against the Bills. I've seen the Bills versus Tom Brady and the Patriots. Tom Brady was was stood out, definitely. I've seen I've been to a bunch of Bills games. What's the next one, Joe? 
Oh, let me uh, look here. Okay, this is from at Darth underscore card. So Darth card. He asks, since free agency sucks so far, if the Bengals, uh, Bengals offered you a job, I think he's asking me here, if they offered you a job, would you take it? Second question, what is your favorite X-Men mega event in the comics? Mine is Age of Apocalypse. Thank you for your amazing work. Uh, I guess I'll answer first. If they offered me a job, I guess I should. I don't like answering questions like this because I don't think it, you know, something like that is, just, is still a complete pipe dream and as it should be. Uh, and I, it's kind of funny because you always hear about scouts. You got to start off at a low level anytime you are got a chance to work in college or NFL. I I have had talks in those situations, and the pay is not great, as you may hear for scouts, especially area scouts or, or traveling scouts. I'm too late in my life, I think, to take a pay cut like that where I would, you know, have <laughs> – I just couldn't do it. You, it would have to be a, a substantial amount of money to even consider it. But then again, a dream job, you should be able to take a pay cut and chase it. So I struggle with the idea of even entertaining that thought. But if it was like, hey, we want to hire you for the GM, I mean, of course, who wouldn't take that job? But anyways, uh, second question, favorite X-Men event? He says Age of Apocalypse. I would probably agree I liked Age of Apocalypse. And if you've only ever seen the movie, it's not really like that in the comics. It's more of like an alternate future and Apocalypse is kind of messing with the timeline a little bit, and everyone's wearing weird, It was, I think it was in the 80s, but everyone's wearing uh, weird like outfits and, and clothes, and everything's like punk rock kind of style to it, and it was just a fun arc in the comics. So I, I would agree on that, uh, even though I think Days of Future Past always captured my imagination from the, not only from the comics, my first in- introduction was the X-Men animated series where they did it so well, and they covered it over a couple of uh, episodes, and that's a good one. All right, so would I take a job? I, I live in Canada, so... They, they don't hire Canadians. I mean, if they're going to... Yeah, like Joe said, if they're going to hire me to be like an executive or something, sure, I'm not taking a scouting job to move back to Cincinnati uh, when I've uprooted my life so so much as I have already. And I don't really have a favorite X-Men mega event in the comics. I've read two X-Men comics in my life. Uh, you remember what they were? Nope. They were they were random comics that I picked up at airports because I always thought like I would like comics, but then I actually read the comic book. And when you only read one random comic book in the they middle suck. of yeah. a random series, it's like, what what's going on? This isn't no, anything like the cartoons. And that's what I now I don't have too many single issue comics anymore. I buy the books or the omnibus you can get. Uh, I would say look for those. They're actually pretty cheap. You get a uh, you can get the hard books or you know paperback and get them on Amazon. The one I just read X Men actually was House of M, and I vaguely remember it. And it wasn't it wasn't come out too long ago. But um, House of M was really cool. And Scarlet Witch, if you know who she is, she completely loses her mind eventually because she's she's got her own mental issues and really changes everyone's life for the better. And then they start waking up from it in this alternate world. And they're like, we don't want this. We don't, this isn't right. This isn't what, how it's supposed to be. And it goes from there. So it shows her power and that's a good one. I'll keep it in mind. If I get through my current list of books, next up is a question from Nate at Nate Kane, 2014. Do you think the Brown family, the Blackburns get enjoyment out of making an entire city hate them? (laughs) Only makes sense since they've done the same shit my entire life. And guess what? It hasn't worked. I don't think they get enjoyment out of that. You know what I think? I, to be honest, I think they're in their own bubble. And when you're in your own bubble, and you, they're not putting every resource to winning. They're not putting every resource to, 
you know, I don't want to say winning again, but there's so many things they could do to uh, to upgrade their their information to make better decisions or feel more confident making their decisions. So I think in their own bubble that they've probably created, they put their own wall up. They don't want to hear from outsiders. So because of it, they believe what they're doing is right or at least their best ability. And that's just an outsider perspective. That's what I believe they're honestly doing. They don't realize they're looking like a fool most of the time. And if they do realize it, they probably don't care. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that nails it pretty well. I think that they've said before, they don't really pay attention to the rest of us. Uh, they, they paid lip service to fan feedback when they talked about firing Marvin Lewis. But I mean, I think that it's looking increasingly to me that Marvin is the scapegoat for the front office and the ownership group. And that really the way that the team operates is not, has nothing to do with Marvin Lewis or very little to do with Marvin Lewis. Maybe some of the personnel choices we've disagreed with Christian Westerman, Evan Mathis. Yeah. uh, You can point at Marvin Lewis, but the, the fundamental way the organization operates and the fundamental perception of the organization among agents and NFL players that are in unrestricted free agency has not changed. There was a time, there was a brief period when people pointed at the Bengals and said, you know, maybe they're actually running the organization the way an NFL team should be run because they had great success there for five years. And even before that, they had a pretty good run with Carson Palmer when he wasn't hurt. So there was a time when people said, maybe they're doing it right. And maybe what was right was Marvin Lewis. Please don't hate me, Bengals fans. Next question. Well, they always have zigged when everyone else has zagged, right? Like, think of the last CBA, and 30 out of 32 owners voted yes for it. Two that didn't was Ralph Wilson for the Bills and, and Mike Brown for the Bengals. I mean, they were against it. And when everyone else was, and this was a few years ago, attacking free agency much differently because now it becomes actually an advantage. But when you shouldn't have attacked free agency, you know, 10 years ago, and the Bengals were like, no, nope, we're not going to do this. We're going to give these kind of contracts. And, you know, when they had success, people looked and said, you know what, they might be right on how they're doing it. Look how they're getting compensatory picks. They might be right on doing this. And then they never adjusted. It's like when you're ahead of something and then stick with it and then everyone else takes it to another level, well, then now you're behind very or, quickly. Or they just stopped hitting draft picks, right? Sure. Like, if, and, and they haven't identified the next market inefficiency or they haven't been as successful with their trades because like they had successful trades in there, too. They were yep. doing a lot of things the Patriots do that we point out. We're like, the Patriots are cheating. This isn't fair. They were getting the third round comp picks. They were finding Reggie Nelson and Delta O'Neill and Brian and Leonard. And, yeah. So there's plenty of guys. They've just missed. Right. So they if, if Cedric Obwehi and Jake Fisher are average tackles, it's a world of difference. Right. Yeah. We're, yeah, so so maybe it's just that they've missed. With any team, if you draft well, and you can't expect anyone to draft well for five straight years, and they pretty much did, it's it propelled them to where they were. And then when they and because of that, it gave them a weird territory or maybe a weird view of themselves that maybe it could continue. I don't think they even believe that. I think they just thought we have a very talented team. We can draft a little bit differently now, or we can attack free agency differently, or we can let a few guys walk when the truth was it's a very thin ice that they were standing on. And it, it broke pretty quickly and they fell back to earth pretty quickly. Yeah. The margin of victory in the NFL is often very small. You look at who is a justice Mosqueda, I think, who does the one score victories every yeah. year to project regression. And it's a great theory. It, it plays out pretty much every year. Let's move on. 
Yes, let's, I think I've got the next one, right? It's from Derek at 513-N-U-A-E. He asks, saying they're in rebuild mode, how likely is it that Zach Taylor trades up to get a quarterback? Also, how likely do you think it is that the Cardinals are, are fiending, is that right? Interest fiending. in Murray. Okay. And Murray to try and dupe a team into trading up. I don't know about the second part. I think there's some pretty legit smoke around the Cardinals wanting Kyler Murray, but we'll know before draft night because they'll have traded Drew Rosen. Nope. Josh Rosen. I yes. get that wrong every time because of Drew Rosenhaus' existence. Also, I was just reading an article on the Draft Network about Drew Locke. Uh, John Ledyard posted this uh, a couple minutes ago. So this is around... 2 Eastern time on Thursday, linking the Bengals to Drew Locke. So, well, he's, he wouldn't be the first one. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? That's true, but it's been pretty quiet. Uh, they, they met with Daniel Jones. That was reported, but it's been mostly pretty quiet around the Bengals and quarterbacks in the draft. So it might not be a trade-up for Kyler Murray, but it might be staying pat and, and picking Drew Locke at eleven. I was told this is a, is a possibility, and we kind of have gotten away from it and didn't talk about it as much. If you listened early in the in the year when we started the podcast, we talked about quarterback heavily because a lot of the rumors were swirling that they would move on from Dalton, sign Ryan Tannehill, and draft a guy, right. if not this year, next year's. And we kind of got gotten away from that because there's been other stories to talk about, and really there's nothing to talk about until it happens. But you do continuously hear, and they show little signs that they're interested in quarterbacks, and um, as you should be. So that doesn't mean they're going to take one. You should do it. This has been my argument for the last five years. They should be aware of every quarterback that's in this draft, have an evaluation of them, and if the evaluation says this is your guy, you take him. And I don't care if you have Andy Dalton. I don't care if you have 37-year-old Peyton Manning. I don't care if you have Ryan Tannehill, Jameis Winston in the fifth year of his option. You should take them. If they would have followed their, their own logic or my logic on that, they would have drafted Patrick Mahomes. They had a, from all – not all. From a specific report, it was that the Bengals had a high grade on Patrick Mahomes and believed he was franchise-level quarterback. Now, if they would have followed themselves on that, they would have him instead of John Ross. So that is the most extreme scenario, but since it's still pretty fresh, we use it often. So I do believe if the Bengals are at 11, they could take a quarterback. And I also believe if they fall in love with one, they could trade up and get one. Ten of the last 11 quarterbacks taken were, were at the end of a trade-up. Uh, and the only one was Baker Mayfield at number one. So really 10 out of 10 trade-ups recently. You have to trade up if you're going to want a quarterback, and the Bengals just might. It would be a change of pace for the Bengals for sure. So that's the only caveat there. Just because other teams have done it doesn't mean the Bengals well, but maybe they will. Who knows? Next question comes from Josh King 2000 on Twitter. I like Kevin Huber as much as any other fan because of his personality, but his punting ability has dropped greatly. It's sad watching him punt the ball now. What are your feelings on acquiring another free agent punter such as Marquette King? I like Marquette King. I think he's fun. He's got an incredibly strong leg, and I think that's valuable. Uh, at the same time, Huber is under contract, and I just don't see the Bengals wasting some money there. And and for somebody that I believe they still like, I just wish we got a little bit more out of Huber, especially since they spent a fifth round pick on him. There are times where he, man, pitting inside the 10, 20, he's, he's fantastic. He just doesn't, I wish he had a monster leg that really could flip the position once in a while. And then you get those random odd kicks from him where you go, you know, geez, what are we, what are we paying this guy for? But Really, he is a directional accuracy type punter, and that has value. 
Yeah. I mean, he's kind of been just a guy for the last few years. I don't know why Bengals fans are just now turning on him. Maybe because he's a Cincinnati guy. He's a fan favorite. But you could do better at punter. You could do a little worse, I guess. But I also think Marquette King isn't that different in terms of quality from Kevin Huber. So I can't really be bothered too much to talk about the punter position for the Bengals right now. Um, you know you know what I think, though? Because of the situations where Huber's at his best, and that's like directional corner coffin type punts, right? Put Getting it inside the 10-yard line right out of bounds. Yeah. Th- those are mostly situations I don't want to punt in. I kind of want the team to yeah. go for it from that 45, you know? So that drives me nuts when he's even out there. So anything less than perfection is going to drive me a little bit crazy with Kevin Huber uh, because I see it as a missed opportunity. Whereas Marquette King is more of a wild card, but a strong leg. So if he's punting from my own 20, I'm kind of happy that he's got that strong leg and may sure. want to flip the field position. So that's why I could see that being... A perceived upgrade even though they may end up with the same results at the end of the year uh it's just because i don't want to see huber out there give me the guy who can do a coffin corner from the other 40 yes the other is that 35. a guy <laughs> yeah that's john ryan for the yeah, seattle seahawks they, yep that's right they drafted a guy that they love is it ryan Man, anyway let's move on no no that uh, might have been their old punter it was their old punter that's why i'm questioning they drafted a guy real early last What's year who was name? like a freak freak punter well, yeah uh, an aussie guy anyway yes this is from Urban Bobby Five on Twitter, and he asks because a lot of people have asked because rumors are swirling about AJ Green. Could he be potentially traded? Uh, it started from I think maybe an unreliable source, but he does ask what's a reasonable haul for AJ Green now that the rumors are out there. Well, we have two benchmarks that you can point to. One of them is Antonio Brown, third and a fifth, for a guy yep. for whom the Steelers really had no leverage. And the other one is a first and a third for Odell Beckham Jr. Neither of those are one-to-one comparisons for A.J. Green. Did they both get new contracts? I don't know that that is certain for Beckham yet, but the one report that I saw on the matter was that he was looking for a similar restructure, not necessarily more years. Okay. I'm not sure. Because that, uh, that would affect you because A.J. needs a new deal. There's no d- doubt about it. If you're trading for him, right. you need to have some contact with him to, to understand a grounds or basis for a, uh, an extension. So let's talk about the rumor for a second first. There are two reporters that I would actually say have checked in on this that I've seen so far. One of them was a New England reporter. The other one was a Washington reporter. And that's where all the smoke from legit sources is coming from. The New England guy said that he checked with his sources and said... The Bengals would like to extend A.J. Green, and if they can't, then they would be looking at trading him. And the report coming out of Washington was that the football club there is interested in acquiring a wide receiver. It might not be free agency, and they said that they are looking to make a big splash. So that talks about a trade. It talks about finding another splashy receiver available by trade, and I don't know who that would be if it's not you know, it kind right. of implies to me AJ Green. So, right. so what especially is the Jay Gruden AJ AJ Green connection yeah. could be there. So a reasonable haul. I think Bengals fans hoping for a an Odell Beckham like package would be disappointed. Odell Beckham did get a first, a third, and a player. Although that trade ended up being reported as for Odell Beckham and Olivier Vernon. So I think you know, a second and a third would probably be a pretty high end return for AJ Green. Joe, what do you think? 
I think the Bengals would request a first round pick. I, I think, think they, they would, would request it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, uh, that was just where I was leading off. The Bengals would say right off the bat for anyone calling, we want a first round pick. Uh, he's still good. We still believe in him. He's still our guy. And we want to extend him. I think if they have put a feeler out there, because we've talked about all offseason how hard it is to come to a common ground with a third contract for your receiver that's aging because the production's been there, you like them, but you're transitioning to the guys you've drafted, which the Bengals clearly are or should or, or would want to. And the age and production usually tends to drop off at this point. So how do you pay a guy $15 million that is really not going to be worth it unless he's and the only comparable is Larry Fitzgerald, which A.J. Green may be similar to. So long-winded, if the Bengals have reached out to Green and he still believes he is a 1A top five receiver that should be paid like one, and these guys are getting $17 million plus a year, well, then it may give the Bengals pause and say, well, we need, we need to trade him for what we can get. And I think that's how it could get to that point. I still believe at this point they want to keep him and want to extend him. But they would say give us a first-round pick. And I think that – is a little bit unreasonable considering his age, recent injuries, and uh, he would need that new contract. So any team is going to need that, and there's some uncertainty. And So say you're that team trading, right? And you really can't talk contract unless the Bengals allow you to, uh, you know, kind of secretively a little bit if you agreed on a deal uh, with with A.J. Green. So you're trading him, and then you got to get a deal done. So there's some risk there in giving up that first-round pick without being sure you're going to get anything back or keep Green for the long haul. So I think it would end ultimately be a second-rounder, and maybe there's a back-end deal or a, a potential um, pick that could be – based on how he plays in 2019. But I think second makes sense to me. I think Green's still really good. And I think a team like the Patriots or the Colts that could really use an outside another receiver would make a lot of sense. And honestly, I'd love to see Green go to that opportunity to win and and show up on the big stage in front of everyone. Yeah. Our next question comes from Joey at Jr. 44 on Twitter. Thoughts on trading back from pick 11 to accumulate picks in 2020. And this goes along, I think, with the uh, with the tanking question or mm-hmm. scenario or picking a quarterback in 2020 scenario because I want as many picks as possible if that's the case, where I can trade back and maybe I grab a first-round pick for, for next year's uh, draft and you go back to 24, 25, 26. There's still going to be quality players that need positions there, whether that's tight end, linebacker, uh, offensive line, defensive tackle, whatever, corner. Uh, so now that the Bengals seemingly could fill most of their positions of need if they signed a few of those guys we talked about earlier today, uh, they could be in a situation where they just let the best player come to them and, and worry about 2020 when he gets there. So, I, I yeah, I think it's always a possibility with the Bengals. They would see value in that. Yeah, if you're talking about picking up future first round picks to to trade back as long as you're not like so it would it would have to be commensurate value right i'm always a fan of adding draft capital i think that there are some teams that have done it really well and it set them up for success in the long term although don't tell browns fans that because apparently browns fans don't actually want to give sashi brown any credit that's that trade for brock osweiler was a genius yeah uh, so yeah, I think trading back makes sense if there's, if, if it's the right move, right? It's hard to talk about it in generic terms because you don't know who has fallen to 11 on draft day. You don't know what the offer is going to be, but if somebody offers them, you know, first, second, third round pick in 2020 for their first round pick, then yeah, you're taking it. Yeah. And we'll go to the next question. And it's from Brett on Twitter. 
He goes by Brett and Brett. I don't know how to say your last name, but I think it should be Gigantic because that would be awesome. And he asks, everyone wants him, but what are the chances Devin White actually falls to the 11th pick after his combine performance? Right now, I'd say it's pretty slim. He's been linked hard to Tampa Bay. Yeah. And I forget the guy's name on Twitter, but he tracks every uh, mock draft. I even may think he does rankings, and I can never remember his name. He needs to, like, brand himself because I think he does a great job. And next time I, I he talks to me, I'll make sure I retweet his stuff. But it was Devin White, I believe, in the 8 to 11 range where he was being mocked the most. And the most uh, common player to team was Devin White at 11 to the Bengals. But I believe that's starting to get pushed up a little bit now where 11 is now the low side of his of his scenario where he can go. And that means we probably shouldn't anticipate it. If he's there, great. But I think it makes sense that he ends up in the Roquan Smith range, which he went number eight or seven last year. I think it's eight. And uh, if he's in that spot or in that area, and I could easily go top five. And the thing is, he Brett here uh, puts in the caveat of after the combine performance, and we talked about it right after, you want to have blue-chip prospects, which means they have the tape, they've got the size, measurables, character, and then the athletic testing and production. So you want all those things, whatever you value as an organization, you want all of those things, and if they check them all, great. Devin White checks them all. So he's going to be one of the few blue-chip prospects in this draft, and that means you can put him on the table at any one of these teams after the top couple picks, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a world where Devin White is there at 11 because pass rushers go, defensive linemen go, corners go, quarterbacks go, whatever it is. Yeah. There's an equally likely scenario that he's gone at 5 or 4 or 8 or 10. So, next question, talking about the draft some more, Daniel at Daniel Bowman, does drafting Kyler make sense to entice A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd to stay? Uh, I do think it could have an impact. I don't know how publicly Green says he loves uh, Dalton, you know, but you see more frustration in Green than ever before over the last three years or so. They're also losing for the first time in his career. Well, okay, and they've had Andy Dalton for most of those three years of losing, and you see... I mean, I can think of so many plays where either he's wide open or the ball should be funneled to him and Dalton doesn't get it to him or gets it to him inaccurately. And you just see Green's face. I mean, him boiling over at Jalen Ramsey after Green smoked Ramsey down the sideline and Dalton just completely airmails it. I think it has an effect. And now I do think he would back Dalton and still ride with Dalton. I do think they're really good friends. But at the same time, if the organization said, hey, we're going to go bring in a guy that can do anything. I think that would get your receivers excited. I think it would do more than the receivers. I think it would get the entire team excited. And we've talked about the impact that seemingly has uh, where somehow you'd get a new quarterback and the defense is playing good all of a sudden. Look at the Browns last year going from Tyrod to Baker in one game and then the effect of it over the season. But in that game at halftime, first half to second half, it was a completely different team. All of a sudden, the secondary knows how to tackle. All of a sudden, the the tackle and right tackle uh, knows how to block because – Mayfield's in the game it has a weird effect on everyone on the team and it shouldn't and I don't know why it does especially on the defensive side but it has an effect and I do think you could get people excited to extend their careers and play in Cincinnati if you drafted a quarterback yeah uh maybe I think that (laughs) when you're talking about the Bengals you're overcoming a lot when you're saying we drafted a quarterback come come here play for us and and you still have the organizational baggage that you do the but don't thing, the Browns have that? Don't the Bills have that? Don't, yeah, don't the but Colts the Browns can that? point to, we have a new GM. Okay. 
right? So the Browns have like, and for the last like three years, I think I mentioned the Browns have had, they've been growing talent. Every year you look at the Browns roster for the last two, three years, you think they're getting better. They're getting better. They're getting better. Now they have a quarterback. Okay. Now they have John Dorsey. Well, the Colts, you know, with or without, when they go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck and that year in between, you saw the Colts for exactly what they were, a bad drafting team, a bad team in general yeah. in terms of management, yeah. and a bad bad ownership. I mean, look at the Bills for 17 years, and all of a sudden they can bring in seven free agents in the first week. Sure, they're paying for them because you have to pay for them. That's not you know, every single team is paying for their guys right now. But all of a sudden they were like, oh, Josh Allen, fine. Yeah, he looked cool in the last five weeks. Yeah, Josh Allen, we'll sign up for that. Yeah. It has an impact. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't have an impact. I just think that the Bengals have a lot to overcome. Because all you're talking about is changing a quarterback. You're not changing right. anything I, else. And and to your point, or to, my, to counter my own point, would be that they're not not getting free agents or extending people because of Andy Dalton. I don't think anyone's turned them down because of Andy Dalton. It's no. because of money. So in the same token, it won't won't change because of they may be more excited, but you still need to pay. It, it needs to be more than just a quarterback. I think unless it's like truly a transcendental guy and you don't generally know that about a guy on his rookie deal, like Tom Brady, people are going to take a pay cut to go play for the Patriots. And that's not just Tom Brady either. That's also Bill Belichick. That's right. We'll uh, go on to the next question. It's from American sure. Kai. He and we already did, did the AJ Green part of his, but he said, "What would it take to swap first with the Cardinals?" So this is moving all the way up to number one pick. And what would you feel comfortable? And what would it take, Jake? I've got the trade value chart, but if you want to uh, see how you yeah. feel about it first, I feel like just historically, this is at least two firsts, right? And mm-hmm. probably like uh, some other sweeteners, like second and or third. Yeah, based on the traditional value chart, it is 3,000 points for the first overall pick. The Bengals are at 1,250 for the 11th pick. So it would cost you, and so let's say you give them 11 and 42. 42 is worth 480. So combined there, we're looking at maybe 1,700 if you want to stretch it. Yeah, and I, and I think it would come out to around there. Around there. 1,700 points, you're still 1,300 less. So it would cost you two firsts and a second. And now if there's other teams bidding, It'll cost you two firsts, a second, and a fourth, and whatever else it may, it may be. But, yeah, typically that is an expensive, expensive move Move up. You're going to trade uh, more than the trade value chart says normally because you're probably outbidding other teams. And But at least it's starter, it's two firsts, then a second. What was the, who was the, who did the big first round trade? Uh, Not, recently the Rams the moved Ram. all the way up. The, the Eagles went all the way from 13 to 8 and then from 8 to 2, and that was both for Goff and then once. Okay. Who who did they trade with? Because one of those teams, was it the Browns? They got like, who was it that got like a King's Ransom? Browns did. They had the second pick that year. I can't remember who had the first. It was a team that just drafted a quarterback. The Bucks or... Oh man, I'm going off memory, and I'm probably completely wrong. No, but it was a team matter. that it was a team that just drafted one, so they took the haul. Kind of like the Cardinals are in now, kind of situation. It's just anytime you look at the what what teams have to give up to move up for the quarterback, it seems the Redskins and RG three. It seems prohibitively expensive. Yeah, that's. I mean, if you hit, great. If you don't hit, damn. And if you have to then build around that guy with without a first round pick the next year, the next two years if things get real crazy like i don't know that starts to get chiefs just did it with Mahomes. yeah and their defense is a 
trash heap. And they're getting rid of the best players. <laughs> they lost Houston, D. Ford, and, and Eric Berry. Jeez, not Eric Berry's been a liability. But, man, D. Ford and Houston together, I don't know what they're doing. But point remains, right, if you miss, yeah, it sucks. But at the same time, you look at who the Browns drafted with the picks and when they swapped with the Eagles, uh, it they didn't get anybody for that. I mean, and the Browns have done that a few times. When they traded back all the way and let the Falcons come up and get Julio Jones, they did nothing with those picks, yep. nothing. Well, So it works both ways. It does. Next question comes from Nick Green at ngreen796 on Twitter. Do you think there's a chance for success in 2019 with primarily the same personnel staying healthy? The Bengals were ravaged by injuries to key positions last year, which could explain some of the dysfunction. I would say there is a chance for success, but it's I wouldn't say it's based on staying healthy because you're not going to stay healthy. There's no team in the league that stays completely healthy. One of the issues with the Bengals and part of why they couldn't overcome injuries was because Marvin Lewis and they and because of the depth they allowed to really get depleted. The Bengals were overachieving last year. We thought we'd see maybe a worse team. They started off hot. I think one of the things when you looked at the roster, you said, well, they, you know, they kind of don't have depth here. They don't have depth here. If they get hurt here, and they ended up getting hurt in all those spots. So it really had a double effect on them. You have to be able to overcome injuries, and good teams find ways to overcome injuries, adapt, whether that's their scheme or help the backup get up to speed and get and get into the game and help, find a way to, for him to make positive plays. So uh, I, I wouldn't say it's because of health, and I hate when people use the health ex- reason you have to overcome those. But I would say the chance is that – and I've talked about this before, so I don't want to keep repeating myself. The chance is that Marvin Lewis was really – getting a bunch of this or a large section of this roster to play below what I believe a lot of people thought they could have played at. And if Zach Taylor is the opposite guy or even just average, then the roster could play much better. Yeah. So to answer the question, if the same personnel stays healthy, then yes, the Bengals absolutely have a chance because when all 22 of your starters are healthy, you're probably going to win football games, especially down the stretch. True. The attrition that happens in the NFL is staggering on an annual basis. And yes, the Bengals were more injured than usual last year and the year before that. Uh, Twenty fifteen, they had nobody. They had the they had their whole starting offense make it through the year. Exactly, and if until Dalton got hurt, and right, if your offense, if your team stays healthy, then yeah, it's going to look like twenty fifteen because everybody's healthy. Although they have more talent on that team, so. I don't know. Is there a chance for success? Sure. There's always a chance. Is it a big chance? I'd say no. And is there a chance that they all stay healthy? I'd also say no. There are injuries in the NFL. You lose 25% of your team at least every year. Even with the 11 starters, you don't feel great about a few of those positions right now. I mean, center, right guard, right tackle, tight end. I mean, Uzama, we like him, but he's, as of right now, is the the number one tight end. Excuse me. Uh, John Ross is still extremely inconsistent. And with all of that, Andy Dalton is not an elevator of talent. So when that right tackle gets beat or that right guard gets beat or the center or the receiver runs the wrong route, it affects Dalton to an extreme level. And because of it, I don't feel very good about the offense right now. And the defense was what it was last year. Exactly. And it it should be better. We all expect it to be better, especially with health, I think would help the defense more because I actually like the guys that got hurt last year. Last question here today. Joe... Dan Smorgasbord, at what point is Duke Tobin part of the problem? 
is the only chance of fixing the Brown family problem, bringing in a general manager that can counter their traditional way of failing doing business. Yeah, I think there is part of that. And I don't hate Duke Tobin. I think he has one hand behind his back. And he may be at that point in his career because he came up with the Bengals that he has accepted it and find then sees it as how he just has to operate. Uh, but if you brought in an outside GM, he'd probably say, what are you guys doing? What do you No, This isn't how you do it. You do it this way, or you got to put this money forward. You got to give me the resources to spend and do that. And that's, that may be why they can never attract one or a good one. Same way we say about the coach, if they did go out and look for a GM. So yes, I get to the conclusion of it's going to have to be new ownership, top to bottom restructuring of the entire franchise and organization uh and i know that's scary for some people or at least that is type of a bleak long look at it but at the same time i do think tobin would have much more success somewhere else yeah and i don't think the family's going anywhere right like it's gone on to the next generation already right now it seems to be katie and troy for the most part running the show which for a moment on this podcast we were a little bit optimistic about and now we're kind of not sure if that's actually going to make any difference right uh should we take a quick bonus question here does tyler boyd have the ceiling of a true number one receiver in the post aj green era or is he better suited as a complimentary piece sure that's a good bonus question i think he's better suited as a complimentary piece uh because he does have athletic limitations based on his profile even though if you just watched him last year you wouldn't say he does at all having said that he was in the slot and usually you can put your lesser athlete in the slot and get advantageous situations because of that because of the advantages you get inside. Um, we talked about those before. Uh, so I don't think he's a true number one, but I will say what is a true number one in today's NFL? It could be your slot guy. Yeah. The, the The Patriots constantly, Edelman is their true number, number one, and that's yeah. not a bad thing if you run the offense through him and can do it. It just means you're going to need um, other positions to help uh, – create explosive plays or downfield plays and some and whether that's they use Gronk they use the the running backs to do it they sometimes that's Chris Hogan going down down the field uh the Bengals would need you I believe you need a good quarterback in that scenario but you also need a good offensive design you need role players around him that can do what he can't but so traditionally no maybe future NFL yes and and also one other point in his favor is that he did still perform when AJ Green has missed time when he was the number one option. Yeah, because you can use your slot guy as that. And what so when you, you it may be what you view as the number one. Does that mean because people still ask that people asked this last year uh, when LaFell was cut? Oh, is he going to go to the number? Is he going to be the other outside wide receiver? Well, no, but you don't have to worry about that because you're three wide receivers all the time. You put them in the slot. And even if you are out there in two wide and he's got to be out there, you don't typically throw out of those situations anyways and not often. Uh, so. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to be an outside guy anymore to be a number one or be a number two. It's it's different. There you have it, Bengals fans. We got through a bunch of questions again, probably 20. Um, and that's going to get you through your weekend, I hope. This is an extra long podcast to get you through the next couple of days, divided up into chunks. Listen, listen on Friday, listen on Saturday. Hopefully we have some Bengals news. I don't think there's ever much activity in Paul Brown Stadium on the weekends, right? <laughs> no, they go home. That's yeah. it. So if something does happen over the weekend, we'll have our eyes on it. Otherwise, we'll see you for Mock Draft Monday, the first one after free agency's open. 
Well, that should be fun. I'm excited for that, actually. Yeah, that one's going to be interesting. I hope you're all excited. I mean, we knocked it out of the park last week, but this week's going to be different. That has been the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I hope you have a great weekend, Bengals fans, and we will see you next time. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.